What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have it. Katie Huey Harrison, which is just like the coolest name ever. Oh, I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about you, Katie, and kind of like what you're doing for the community. So I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like with your story. Absolutely. Well, um, so we'll, I'll tell you my story first, and then we can kind of get to what that's done for my life and what I'm doing for the miscarriage community later. Uh, I first started trying to conceive. Oh my God, it was so long ago. I can't even wrap my brain around it. Um, And I was in a PhD program um, and I really cutely, you know, was like, oh, we need to get pregnant in September or October because that's going to give me a summer baby so that the semester will be over and I don't have teaching obligations. Um, And it's just Lots of naivest to think, okay, we've got a two month window. Well, let's have a get pregnant in that two month window and everything will go fine. I thought. Um, and so a year and a half later, when we still weren't pregnant, um, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, and so I was sitting on my couch one night, uh, writing lists of questions that I was going to ask about fertility testing at my OB the next day. And I got this sharp pain in my left breast. And I was like, oh, shit, I have been nauseous all weekend. And I've been really weirdly craving chicken sausage. And now my boobs hurt. Maybe I should take a pregnancy test. Um, And so I found out the day before I was going to ask about the killer's time. Um, And that was October of 2015. Um, And at that point, I was one of those people who you know, told my husband, oh, we can't tell anybody yet because it's not the second trimester, which now I think is complete BS and I don't believe in at all. Um, I'm much more like you and like, hey, let's share this from the get-go. But at the time, you know, I just sort of was going through the procedure and I never actually thought miscarriage was something that could happen to me. Uh, It was just the thing, oh, you know, you're just careful just in case. and so I went to the doctor the next day and she confirmed the pregnancy and uh, we were really, really excited. And then we went in for this awful, awful ultrasound where I still can't walk past this ultrasound room at my gynecologist's office without kind of just wanting to collapse. I actually pushed my son's stroller past it one day. Um, and in the ultrasound room, the ultrasound tech never turned on the volume, never turned the screen toward us. Um, and so she left the room to go get a doctor. And I looked at my husband and I was like, this is bad. And he didn't understand. He knew nothing about this process. And he said, well, wh- why? What are you worried about? Why is it bad? And I said, but they're supposed to turn the screen on. They're supposed to turn the volume up and let you hear the heartbeat and show you what's happening. And none of that's happening. This is bad. And he was like, well, maybe it's okay. Um, calm down. We'll be all, you know, we'll let's hear what they have to say. 
Um, and so then the ultrasound technician came back in and she said she could, my doctor was out that day and the one she was hoping to find was busy. And so she was like, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you anything, but I'll just tell you that basically I wasn't able to find anything. Um, but you might just be earlier than we expect. And so let's wait a week and see what happens. Um, and I had known at that point in time, things that I tell moms who are going through this for the first time. One of the big things is ask what your gestational sac is measuring. Um, because if I had known to ask that question, I would have found out that I was measuring seven and a half weeks and no baby, no heartbeats. I would have known with a lot more certainty and the next week would have been a lot less questionable sort of hell that I lived through. We actually traveled to Ohio for my husband's uncle's funeral um, and his whole family is asking us when we're going to have kids and saying, oh, don't rush it. No hurry. And I'm sitting here like I'm probably miscarrying right now. Um, and so that was horrific. And I actually asked the ultrasound technician, well, what's the chance? with this and she said 50 50 it could go either way which again if and a half weeks that is bullshit the chance was not 50 50 and she knew it but she did not tell me that and i will forever be very resentful of that fact uh you can hear it in my voice right now so i um talked to her we left we went through our week i actually had to go to a maternity store knowing that I was probably miscarrying uh, because I was so bloated that I couldn't fit into anything for the funeral without looking pregnant. And so I needed maternity clothes to hide what I looked like. Um, and so that was just horrific. And we went back the following week and same sort of ultrasound procedure. But that day my doctor was there. And so we went into her office and she told us what was happening. Um, and she, sorry that I didn't call you last week, but you know, the ultrasound technician told me that she had told you what was going on hearing. And she said that you seemed really okay with it. And I just lost it because that's not what she told me. And I was furious. Um, and so at that point, I didn't know what to do. And so I pulled out my phone and my poor gynecologist, I actually had to promise her that I wasn't recording her. I was like, I just can't look at you right now. Like I'm upset and I'm angry and I just, I can't look at you. So I need you to tell me all the things and I'm going to write them down. Um, and she was wonderful. And she told me some really, really important things that women need to know. One of those major things um, is that it wasn't my fault. And she actually like almost took my face in her hands and she looked me in the eye and she said, this is not your fault. Nothing you could have done would have changed this. And that is a message I try to spread far and wide to women in the miscarriage community. No, it's not the coffee that I drink, just the shit that happens when one in four or potentially more pregnancies end in loss you can't assume you're not going to be part of that statistic because so many women since literally the beginning of time have been part of that, that statistic. This is part of our lives and part of our process. Um, and so I came home and I just was a complete wreck. Um, and I didn't know how to process it. And I really wanted to wait and have a natural miscarriage. And my doctor said, no, um, I'll give you a week a week and a half maybe 
But beyond that, we've got to intervene because it's just too dangerous. You can develop infection. It's not emotionally healthy. There are so many things that can happen. Um, and so I was going to give it the full week and a half. And then I spent that night at home, hovered around the toilet, nauseous, with still no signs of actively miscarrying and knowing I'm going through this and there's not, there's not a living baby inside of me anymore. And so I called my OB the next morning and we scheduled a DNC, which was for me the best thing I could possibly have done in that moment. Because what I really needed emotionally was just to feel like something was in my control. I understood that, you know, I've, I never knew how much I couldn't control the situation. You know, pregnant in September or October so that we can have a summer baby while I write my dissertation. And here we are a year and a half later losing our first pregnancy. And I'm coming to this very difficult realization that none of this is under my control. And so at that point, I said, you know what? I can control surgery. I can control when we schedule it. I can control that we're doing it. I can control who is performing it where it is, let's do the surgery. Um, and so for me, that was really emotionally a necessary choice because I needed that level of control. Um, and then, you know, my doctor promised me, another thing I always tell people that I wish I had known is my doctor did tell me you have the op option of doing testing um, to try to find out what caused this type of loss. But normally it's chromosomal abnormalities since it's your first loss your insurance likely isn't going to cover it. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want miscarriage would happen to me. So I certainly never thought it would happen to me twice or four times as it ultimately did. Um, and so I opted out of that testing. And that is one of my biggest regrets of the situation um, is that I didn't do that testing because had we done it and had we learned that that child was chromosomally normal, which of course I'll never know, but indications would be that it probably potentially was at least there's a chance that it was um that would have told us later on when we needed to do testing that maybe we needed to look at anatomical things earlier rather than later um and so that is something i always tell people with their first loss if they're having a dnc um you know you do have this option and it may not be worthwhile um and i don't know if your insurance will cover it but i do want you to know that you have it and i wish i had done it um, because I had three miscarriages after that, and I never actually had the opportunity to have that again. So we, we went back to trying again, um, and I purchased a fertility monitor. Um, I had gone from being someone who really didn't want to monitor, who wanted to just kind of let it happen naturally, to someone who, again, needed that control. And so the fertility monitor made all the difference in the world for me, both in terms of control and also in terms of getting pregnant. So it took a year and a half the first time. Well, it took two months the second time. Um, and so two months after um, I got my period back, which means following a DNC, I think it took me about six weeks to get my period back. I know that's something people always wonder and the timing varies, but for me, I think it was close to six weeks. Um, so it was about three and a half months after my initial loss. Um, I got pregnant again. We were following my betas. My numbers were rising well. Um, and we were driving my husband and I show at, um, the Fox theater, which is sort of the big, um, theater that shows travel through in downtown Atlanta, where we, we live in Atlanta. Um, and we were driving into downtown and I was driving 
in rush hour Atlanta traffic, which is like notorious for being some of the worst in the world. And all of a sudden I started just terribly, terribly, terribly cramping. And I knew immediately uh, what was happening, but I'm stuck in this traffic and I can't do anything about it. Um, and so I decided, well, let's just go to our where we're trying to get to we were trying to get to a food hall to go have dinner before um and we had been planning to go to the szechuan place we really love and when we got there i said to my husband just go to the burger place because that's faster and i have a feeling we're about to have to go home um so i went to the bathroom and there it was blood everywhere which actually it really wasn't everywhere. It was the very beginning of the miscarriage. This wasn't when I actually fully miscarried. Um, but at the time, having never had this experience before, it felt like, oh my God, I'm, I'm hemorrhaging, um, even though I wasn't. And so, oh, that was just horrible. And so I went back and joined my husband and I just, and he looked at me really quietly and he was like, I don't know what to do right now. And I was like, well, clearly we need to go home. And he said, well, we need to go home, but how are you feeling? And I was like, what do you mean, how am I feeling? I don't even know how I'm feeling. I just need to go home. And he said, you know, I feel terrible even asking this. And so if you want to go, let's go. But we have to eat. And we're here, and it's going to take us 10 minutes to get food. What do you think? And I was like, all right, get me a burger and some, a milkshake and I'm going to go try to contain this. And so I literally went back to the bathroom and stuffed my underwear full of toilet paper. Um, and by the time I got back, our food was already there and we just sat in silence and ate burgers and fries and drank a milkshake, uh, which was weirdly kind of cathartic and sounds insane. And had I been really fully actively miscarrying at this point, it obviously would not have been possible. Uh, but it was the beginning. And so it was, it was doable. It wasn't comfortable or fun, but it gave us both a little time to kind of quietly process. And then we got in the car and I called my doctor. Um, and when she called me back, I could hear the tears um, behind her voice and she was wonderful. Um, and so I, you know, that was a slower process because it was a natural loss. I was also very, very early. I was only about five and a half weeks at this point, um, where I was eight and a half weeks for the other one. And so, you know, it, um, it was just a completely different deal. Um, but I spent that weekend on the couch. I thought miscarrying, uh, because I had never done this naturally before. So I didn't know that it could be such a long drawn out process. And that's another thing I like to make sure people know that this can take a lot of time or a little time. Some people pass everything very quickly. And for some people, it really takes a while. Um, so I spent the weekend on the couch with a heating pad. And then I, I went back to work, I think. Yeah, I think I took a day or two off. And then I went back to work sometime that week. Um, and then one day at work, I started cramping and bleeding again. And so I left and went home and the following miscarried. Um, and so that was a really, it was an awful experience, but it was also a really interesting learning experience for me and recognizing that not only is everyone's experience different, but each individual has so many different experiences. Um, and so it's not going to be the same for you every time if you have multiple 
Um, so that's something I really like to communicate to people. Uh, my doctor was wonderful and she recognized, she said, look, two back to back when you don't have any children yet, that is extremely uncommon. Um, so I'm going to refer you out for recurrent miscarriage testing. And most people's doctors wait until three, a lot more are beginning to tend toward two, but this was probably four, four years ago. Um, and so at that point, definitely three is still the number. Um, so I felt extremely fortunate in that. And she was married to a reproductive endocrinologist. And so that was very uh, serendipitous because he is actually the one who found the problem that got us our baby, which I will, I will talk to you about because it's a really important story for people to hear. Um, so flash forward, I didn't even have another period. I didn't think that I had, I didn't think I, my hormone levels hadn't returned to zero. So I didn't even think that I could have ovulated. Um, and my doctor called me after an appointment and I thought she was calling. I had gone in for follow-up betas, trying to get my levels back to zero because as soon as they got to zero, then I could start mis recurrent miscarriage. Um, and she called me and she said, Hey, are you sitting down? And I was like, uh, well, I am now what's up. And I, this, and I shared an office because she was in there too. Uh, and she said, have you had sex? since you're lost and I was like uh I only once and we were careful and she was like well not careful enough and I was just floored I could not believe it and I really honestly I never believed it I never for a second and this was my shortest knowledge of being pregnant pregnancy um I never once accepted that I was pregnant uh, I left that day she said I need you to come in um, we're going to do blood draws. If it's okay, I'm going to consult with my husband in the 30 minutes before you get here and find out what tests I can safely run while you're pregnant to see if we can get this process started and if there's anything we can do to save this one. So she was clearly working under the same assumption that I was, which was there's an underlying issue here and this pregnancy is not going to work. Um, and so I really truly never accepted that pregnancy um, I walked out of my office and my office mate who is one of my best friends now um, and was just tremendous through this experience um, she kept just repeating mix up at the lab mix up at the lab I was telling myself too I did not want to be pregnant I wanted to go through testing um, and so I went to my doctor's office drew 21 vials of blood and they did my beta testing as part of that. They also then did thyroid tests, blood clotting, uh, everything that you do that is a simple blood test with the exception of karyotype testing because that's a more major test. Um, she ran that day. And so by the time I got the results of my betas from her, I also was beginning to get results in from this miscarriage test. Um, she called me two days later. I was back in the same office with the same office mate. And at this point she knew what was going on. So I just answered in front of her. And my doctor said, um, I need you to go to the emergency room. I think your pregnancy is at topic. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me right now. Like, my third miscarriage are you serious and it's ectopic it can't even just be a normal one 
Um, and so of course I asked why she thought that. And she said, your HCG levels are exactly the same as last time we tested them. Plateaued HCG levels tend to indicate an ectopic pregnancy. The good news is that they're really low. So if you go to the hospital, they can do an ultra, they can do more betas that they'll get back immediately and they can confirm the plateaued HCG. Then they can do an ultrasound to test, to look and see and, you know, confirm what I think is happening. And then if that's what's happening, they can give you a shot of methotrexate and it will literally dissolve the pregnancy. Um, and so my, my sweet friend, Rebecca and office mate offered to drive me home. And I was like, honestly, I'm okay. Like I, I never accepted this pregnancy because I was afraid to really. Um, and so I'm fine. And so I drove home and I really was that to me, both emotionally and physically was the easiest loss. My husband met me at our house and we went to the emergency room and they did, drew my betas and they were the same. Um, and so they did an ultrasound and they said, yeah, it's in your tube, but it's really, really tiny. Um, so we can, we can give you a shot of methotrexate. Um, so I, I got to the ER at probably three o'clock in the afternoon and I didn't get home until close to 1 a.m. And so I mean, yeah, that way it was frustrating and difficult, but that was literally it. I never felt side effects from methotrexate. I never had any bleeding. I never had any cramping. It was just as, it was almost as if this had never happened, which was crazy. Um, and then methotrexate, um, for people listening who have never used it, uh, methotrexate, what it does is it literally dissolves your pregnancy, which sounds terrible and crazy. Um, but when it's in your tube, you're very thankful for that option because it means you don't have to have surgery. You don't have to potentially lose a tube. If you're further along in an ectopic pregnancy, that can be very scary. Um, your tube can rupture, you can become septic. And so I honestly, as weird as it sounds, I've always felt very lucky for the way that this particular pregnancy worked because I never developed an attachment. I was able to get rid of it easily. Um, and so it, that one was very surreal to me. And I didn't really go through a grief process. I just was confused more than anything. And I really wanted that control that I keep coming back to. I really wanted that. And so I wanted to start testing. So um, at that point, one thing about methotrexate, it's a nasty drug. It's used in chemotherapy. It's also used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. And so it's, it's nasty. It does ugly things to your body. Thank goodness I didn't have any of those effects because my dosage was pretty minimal because everything was so small. So, um, but you can't try to get pregnant again immediately after. And so my doctor actually put me back on birth control, which was really a relief at that point in time um, to just say, okay, we're stopping this whole horrific process. We've been in it for two years and we're over it. And my body has been through hell and I just want life to feel normal for a minute. Um, and while life doesn't feel normal when you're going through recurrent miscarriage testing, um, it, it is really, really helpful um, to have a sense of normalcy for a little while of not trying. Um, so then I started the recurrent miscarriage we were convinced that there was a karyotype issue due to some family history things that um, we had. And when we got those results back and they were negative, we were just stunned. Um, karyotype, having a, carrying a balanced 
translocation, which is what they're testing for in karyotype testing. It's a genetic test on the two parents. Um, you really, ex it, it's only 2% of people going through recurrent pregnancy loss have this issue. Um, and only 1% of couples experience recurrent pregnancy loss. So like you're in a major minority if that's your problem, but we really thought it was going to be. So we kind of were emotionally floored by that. Like, all right, back to the drawing board. What do we do now? Um, and so I had all of the major testing. Um, I've written about this testing on my website. Uh, I think it's, um, Undefining motherhood, and then if you just search for recurrent miscarriage testing, so it's undefiningmotherhood.com, uh, and then you can look under the pregnancy loss tab, and there are a million different options, but one of them is recurrent miscarriage testing, and so it actually walks you through all of the different tests that are out there, what they're like, what my experience was like, and so that's a post that um, I know people find to be really helpful in case anyone needs it. So it's, um, I just got the slug for you. It's undefiningmotherhood.com front slash recurrent dash miscarriage dash testing. So I can, it can give you that link. Uh, but that's a really helpful one for going through loss and need that testing and need to know what to ask for. Um, because one way in which I'm really lucky is that I live in a large city and I have access to great medical care and to doctors who really know miscarriage, not just infertility. A lot of doctors and reproductive and immunologists don't know miscarriage. And so a lot of people don't have that. So I like to be able to make sure that women have that resource. If their doctors aren't as familiar with it, they can take my kind of cheat sheet of questions to ask your doctor about. And I know a lot of women who have actually found their problems because of tests that their doctors did because of this cheat sheet. So that's a really helpful resource. Uh, but my doctor knew what to do. She, um, which is the dye test where they check your fallopian tubes and your uterus and everything was normal there. Then we did an endometrial biopsy. Um, which I really recommend to people who are having early losses regularly. Um, and we found that I had inflammation in my uterus. Um, so chronic endometritis is the diagnosis that I was given. Um, so they put me on a really, really, really strong antibiotic. I was on an antibiotic for something like 20 days and it was crazy strong. Um, and it was meant to get rid of the inflammation in my uterus. And it did. Um, my doctor was convinced that this was my problem and so was I and it was a problem it is something that if you have it it does need to be fixed um, and it can happen there's so many things that can cause inflammation in your uterus and it's a very easy trial biopsy is such an easy test to have it takes 10 seconds three of those seconds are horrifically painful but it's three seconds um, and then you're done and you get this information. So I really recommend that to people having repeat early losses. Um, so we all just assumed the next pregnancy would work. We found the problem. Great. Let's go. Um, and so when I found out I was losing that pregnancy as well, uh, I mean, it, everyone was just floored and heartbroken. Um, we were with my reproductive endocrinologist whose wife is my gynecologist and she happened to call him while he was in the office and I told him to answer and we all died on the phone together and it was just it was tremendously upsetting. Um, and so he was like, the only thing really left to do is a hysteroscopy. 
Um, other things that we hadn't done, we didn't do anything with reproductive immunology, which my doctor does not do. I would have had to have sought that out somewhere else, um, probably outside of Atlanta, had we gotten there. Um, but he said, you know, really the only thing left to test for is to just do a hysteroscopy and make sure everything looks okay. Um, and that's the point where he really started talking to me. He had told me before, but he really started harking on 50% of people who have recurrent miscarriage never get answers for why. Um, and it's just a, will, a, a question of, are you willing to play roulette and keep trying? Um, and so we were starting to think through, okay, well, what comes next? If the hysteroscopy doesn't show anything, if we keep losing, what do we do? How far are we willing to push this? What are our alternatives? And so we're trying to sort of mentally work through all of those processes. Um, and I went in for my hysteroscopy, which is usually one of the last procedures that doctors do because it, in most cases, you're fully sedated. Um, and the women I've talked to who have had it with an epidural, um, it sounds like most of them would recommend that you ask to be fully sedated unless sedation has been a problem for you. Um, and so that most doctors wait on it because they don't want to have to sedate you if they don't have to. Um, it's not a long procedure. It takes five minutes, but it's so invasive. They're literally sticking a scope up your vagina and into your uterus and looking at your uterus on camera. And so they want you to be not awake for that. And I appreciate them wanting me to not be awake for that. Um, but I knew the second I woke up from that hysteroscopy that he had found something. Um, and I remember, I mean, I don't remember it clearly because I was so drugged up. I was coming out of anesthesia, but I just remember opening my eyes and looking at my husband and saying, what did he find? I have to know what he found. Get him right now and tell him I need pain medicine. Hysteroscopy is not supposed to hurt. You're supposed to wake up and feel pretty normal and maybe have some cramps. And I was in extreme pain. Um, and what I learned, and this is something, oh, I, everybody needs to hear this um, because it is, it is unbelievable, it is serendipitous, and it is so important for you to know. Um, Basically, my uterus looked perfect. It was ever so slightly arcuate, which means that it just is kind of heart-shaped at the top. Um, my doctor knew good and well that having an arcuate uterus is not going to cause recurrent loss, particularly with the level that mine was. He said it was extremely minor. It wasn't like I had a septum that can cause losses. Um, he said it was extremely minor. But it was our last step together. And he had already told me it was our last step together. And so he wanted to know he had for me. And so he decided he was going to reshape my uterus and make it a perfectly normally shaped uterus just to say he'd done all he could. And when he started cutting away at that little heart shape hanging down, it didn't bleed. And a light bulb moment for my doctor. I get chills just thinking about it. Um, he was like, that's not normal or okay. And so he kept snipping. I, I'm sorry if you're a queasy listener, this sounds gross, but I, it's really important information. Um, snipping and he discovered that 70% of my uterine wall was dead tissue. And within that 70% is where embryos traditionally implant. 
And so he said, it's possible that you could have carried successfully if an import, but the chance of that happening is so slim with every single pregnancy. So he literally cut away tissue until my entire uterus bled. So of course I was in severe pain. Um, and he said, give yourself to heal. And 10 weeks later, I was pregnant with my two and a half year old son, Jack, who's playing in our backyard right now with my husband. Um, and it's just, it's so remarkable to me because literally any other doctor on any other day, had he had an embryo transfer to do, had he had lunch to get to and he was hungry, might not have decided to do that reshaping. And we would never have known that this was an issue. And I said, well, what caused it? And he said, you were born this way. This has always been your uterus. Um, uh, made it a regular practice. And this is the part I really want people to hear. They've made it routine to start checking for this during hysteroscopy. They just very lightly snip like four or five different places in a uterus if they're doing a hysteroscopy for recurrent loss. And he says that they have seen this problem time and time and again, and that solving it has led to successful pregnancies time and time and time again. I haven't spoken to him about it recently, so I don't know if they've done research on it. I don't know if they're publishing about it. Dear God, I hope they are. Uh, but I really like to get the word out there in every way possible to everyone possible. Your doctor doesn't know to look for this. There's no name for this diagnosis. He can't say, oh, you had this, you had, you know, X or Y. No, I had dead uterine tissue that wasn't getting blood flow to my eye. They weren't growing and thriving. And so I'm just so abundantly thankful for that doctor. And I also just want everyone to hear that message and know that may not be your problem, but apparently it's not uncommon and no one knows to look for it. So if you're already having a hysteroscopy, particularly if you're having repeat early, just have your doctor check. Say, hey, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but can you just snip a few places and make sure that I bleed? Because that would really make me feel better. Um, and you know, you, it's possible that you might find the problem that no one knows to look for. Um, and so that's my story. You know, then I, I got pregnant with my son and it was the most terrifying pregnancy, but it worked out. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. That was so interesting. <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and so that's, and that's what led me to start my website as well, because again, I want everyone to know. Um, and so, um, UndefiningMotherhood.com is my website, but it's, um, you know, I just really want the pregnancy loss community to know that there are, there are tests you can have done. There are things that a lot of doctors don't know about. Um, and you know, you may figure it out and you may not. And you know, my heart is with you through all of it. And I'm here if you need someone to talk to, um, I'm at Kiwi Harrison on Instagram. You can DM me anytime. Um, but I just want people to be very, very aware like, Hey, this is a thing. Um, and there's so much that you can do to advocate for yourself. Um, just asking your doctor for specific tests and specific things to be done dairy testing can make all the difference in the world um, because a lot of doctors aren't familiar with miscarriage the way that we need them to be either.
Yeah, so cool. And I know you you just recently launched launched a journal, right? I did write a journal for women who are experiencing pregnancy loss, and it kind of does two different things. It both helps walk them through the grief of that process, and it also helps walk them through some of the practical aspects of that process. And so it's called Morning Retreat, M-O-U. R-N-I-N-G, so you're in morning, morning retreat, um, a journal for the sisterhood of pregnancy loss. Um, and what I really focus on there is the fact that this is a sisterhood. This is something that women have been going through literally since the beginning of time. How, I mean, how many things can you say that about? Um, and we're just now beginning to really talk about it, thanks to people like you, Shelly. Um, and so we're having these conversations and we're finding this sisterhood and this tribe of women who get it. Um, and so I've used both my, my loss experience, my experience in therapy, um, and also I was a university level teacher for 10 years. And so my instructional background to create this journal. And so it's not write journal. It does have some of that, uh, but it also has a lot of worksheets and exercises. And so we talk about very practical things like, do you tell people, who do you tell and how do you tell them? Because I'll tell you, you know, sending a text message to someone and telling them you miscarried when they didn't even know you were trying to conceive, it's awkward. Um, and having help walking through that process is useful, but then there's also a lot that has to do with the actual emotions of sort of allowing yourself to feel grief and how do you walk through that. And so we go very step-by-step -step intentionally through that process. And it also comes with a private online community that's just a, a beautifully supportive group of women. So yeah, morning retreat. I know um, Shelly's um, going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and um, it's also hopefully, I don't have a timeline on it yet, but it is currently a PDF, a downloadable PDF, and you can edit. It's an editable PDF you can do on your computer. Um, but within, I hope, the next few months, um, it will also launch on Amazon as a product that you can buy um, and get an actual printed copy. And so, yeah, um, it's just been an amazing tool, and I'm so humbled to have had the opportunity to create it and buy the community of women that I'm getting to know through it. It's just been really tremendous. And if you're someone who's struggling through that grief process right now, um, it's definitely something to take a look at because we all need that help and we all need that camaraderie and that sisterhood like Shelly's providing with this podcast and on her Instagram feed. Um, we need that in as many places as we can get it. Katie, that is so cool, and you are so cool, and I'm going to link your Instagram, I'm going to link your website, I'm going to link your journal all in the description of this episode so that um, people have all of your resources. I just want to thank you so much for spending all this time, you know, within this community and spreading awareness. Uh, you're incredible, so I just want to thank you. Oh. Well, thank you. I mean, it is, you know, we need the more voices we can get out there, the better. And I just, I so appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm really honored that you've allowed me to be a part of that. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 